I think as a leader, you have to be uh, firm, but also calm and collected. If you are not, then that can really like rattle the team. The confidence is really important. I think the other one is having a, a retrospective or a post-mortem culture where you actually mm -hmm. ask the right questions and be able to learn from it and follow up on it is really, really important. You have to think about even like near misses. What are the yeah. things that could have been a disaster, but weren't? And, mm -hmm. you know, actually look at those near misses as like a learning opportunity as well. So I think making sure that it's a learning opportunity, that you learn from it, that you adjust team structure, technology, and processes in order to continuously learn is really important. Welcome back to Alexa's Input. As simple as possible, as powerful as necessary, right? Welcome to Alexa's Input. <laughs> The person is probably more interesting than the tool that they're using. Welcome to Alexa's Input! Welcome to the fifth episode of Welcome Alexa's back to Alexa's Input. Then a six-year-old runs into the data center with a squirt gun and they set that machine into a pile of sparks and flames. Yes, it's a good thing to do. Is it the thing we should be doing? Welcome to Alexa's Input. Hello, welcome back to Alexa's Input and welcome to 2022. This was meant to be the December episode, but I took a little bit of time off, so I'm getting to it a little bit later than um, I had planned, but uh, better late than never, so... I'm excited to announce in this episode, I'm talking with Mahmoud Aram. He is the co-founder and CTO of Bluecore. He worked as an engineer at a few companies previously. Um, those are Boston Scientific, Matchmine, Allurent, and he was also the director of engineering at Red Star. Then he went on to be the engineering team lead at Moda Operandi. I hope I uh, pronounced all of those correctly. But today he joins me to discuss a variety of topics around being a founder and his experience, also his experience, um, how he got into tech and some of the companies he worked at previously. He talks about the importance of having a co-founder you trust, uh, his previous projects and ideas before he developed BlueCore, how he got into e-commerce and how the idea for BlueCore developed, the process that he and his co-founder went through when pitching their idea and going through Techstars, how his role has changed throughout time. He talks about lessons learned all the way from seed series A to now series E, scaling while maintaining innovation, what you need as a leader and um, recruiting, how important recruiting is, and much more. So there's a lot of topics we discuss. I think it was a very enjoyable episode. It was an enjoyable discussion to have. Of course, I'm partial because I worked at Blue Corps, but I think that he gives a lot of good wisdom and I hope you learn some things. If you can, please go to the anchor link in the description and donate. Um, you can do as little as 99 cents and you can go up from there. I appreciate everyone who does donate. Just know I see you, I appreciate you, and thank you for listening and investing in my podcast. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe button because then it notifies you about new episodes that come out. You can also follow the Twitter account at Alexa's Input to know more information about new episodes and when they come out as well. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So welcome to Alexa's Input. Today on the podcast, we have with us Mahmoud Aram. Mahmoud, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Mahmoud Aram. I'm co-founder and CTO at Bluecore. I would say nice to meet you, but I think we already know each other. Even with that yeah. said, I think that today I will probably learn a lot about you. So a lot of things I probably don't know. So I'm excited. First, I'd like to start with how did you get into tech? Well, I, uh, I studied computer engineering and electrical engineering as an undergraduate, um, thinking that hardware was, you know, where real engineering was, right? Uh, and like electronics and things like that. Uh, but when I graduated college, I realized that, you know, hardware might have been great to be in in the 80s because that was the golden age of it, while the age of software was kind of like still starting. And I think at my first internship, 
I, you know, I like made a, I was working with some hardware. I was working with these LCD monitors and uh, I did something where I connected them sort of like serially rather than parallel. And I blew a, a few fuses and they were like, well, you know, maybe you're not so good at hardware. How about you try the software thing instead? Um, and I think that was the internship that sort of turned me into software engineering and into programming rather than hardware. Yeah, it sounds a lot like my experience with chemistry. I wasn't really great at mixing things, so I just started working with computers instead. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so can you tell me a little bit about your first few work experiences? Uh, what were those like? Yeah, so my first uh, job out of college was um, at a medical device company. It was called Guidant, based out of Minneapolis, um, St. Paul. And right now it is part of Boston Scientific. Uh, the team that I was on was building these implanted pacemakers uh, and a device Ooh. that could uh, remotely connect to them via radio frequency. You know, think of it as a precursor to Bluetooth and all of that, where you can do telemetry on these embedded devices in order to be able, in order for doctors to be able to diagnose and monitor uh, remotely. Uh, so it was a medical device company and writing software for medical devices uh, is very different from most other software. Uh, at the time, I remember that the design verification and testing teams were much larger than the the, the sort of the development teams, right? And for a mm -hmm. good reason, um, you know, how do you actually test an implanted device, right? Turns out that there's a lot of work that goes into that. You take the hardware, you try to build a software simulator for it, then you test the simulator, then you have hardware harnesses that test the hardware. So a lot of testing went into, into it, right? Um, and um, yeah. I think that taught me a lot. Yeah, so what did you do after that? So I was there for the first uh, three uh, years of my career or so. And then I realized that uh, being at a big company uh, wasn't really for me, right? Uh, I always felt like, oh, well, you know, I'm a jack of multiple trades, right? And at a big company, you end up working on one very specific problem. Um, and I think that was in about 2006 or so when um, there was a lot of like startup activity. I thought I really like wanted to do a startup. So I started like tinkering on the side. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, I figured, okay, well, I would like to, you know, before I actually can go and start a startup, I would like to work for one. Uh, mm -hmm. So then I moved and got a job at a startup in, in 2007 that was working actually on recommendations, on media recommendations. Uh, and that was a really, really fascinating experience. And I think that got me hooked onto sort of, you know, small companies or being very early stage. When you say you started tinkering, what did you start doing at that point? Actually, this is when I met uh, Fiaz. Uh, so Fiaz and I had met in, uh, Fiaz is the co-founder and CEO of Bluecore. Uh, we had met freshman year and then we sort of didn't stay in touch after college until a few years later. Um, so I wanted to do uh, something on the side, right? And uh, I think this is when, uh, when like Twitter was like still coming out and social media was like a big thing. The iPhone had just come out. Uh, so mm -hmm. we wanted to do one of those local social mobile things, right? Early 20s living in Boston, um, you, you know, you, you try to sort of, you know, social activities is, is the thing that first like comes to mind. Yeah, uh, it's something that doesn't require a whole lot of like domain expertise, right. And uh, as as sort of, you know, early stage software engineers, we thought, well, if we build it, they will come right. And it turns out it's more complicated than that. So how did you get back in touch with Fias? Uh, obviously, it seems like you two had some type of similar values for wanting to start a company. Like, how did that interaction come back about? After undergrad, I, I lived in Minneapolis for a while, then moved to Boston a couple of years later. Uh, Fias finished graduate school, uh, and then he he moved to Boston actually to work at AMD, uh, at, working on a team that did, that did uh, you know microchip design. Uh, he actually like stuck it out in hardware, right, and was at AMD mm -hmm. for a while. Uh, and you know, uh, I remember uh, you know me feeling like I'm trying to corrupt Fies because he knew he knew exactly <laughs> what he wanted to do, but uh, you know, I kept uh, I kept asking him to sort of like do something with me on the side. So I feel like we 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 sort of like spent our early and mid twenties like tinkering and writing softwares on on like nights and weekends. Uh, but I got in touch with him because I had heard from a mutual friend that he moved to Boston. Um, and, oh, nice. you know, we met, we met, uh, you know, for dinner and caught up and, and it turns out we had a lot of things in common. Nice. So how long did you work uh, for other companies before starting your own? You know, starting in about uh, 2007 or so, I had been working at a startup, uh, but also wanted to do something on the side. Um, and mm -hmm. so did Fize. I convinced Fize to do it with me. Uh, but, uh, you know, both of us could not afford to go and like do anything sort of like full time. Right. Yeah. So we decided, well, 
uh, we're going to do it sort of like nights and weekends and see if we can, you know, if we can like turn it into something that has legs, right? Uh, but it turns out that that's very, very hard to do because um, essentially, rather than failing fast, you end up failing very, very slowly, right? Because yeah. you're doing it just a little bit at a time. Uh, so, so that was, you know, that that's sort of like how, you know, that's sort of like how we we like got started. Uh, so it took us. I think we worked, you know, we worked part time on things uh, from about 2007, from the summer of 2007, uh, all the way to like late 2010. Um, you know, in the meanwhile, you know, uh, we were able to sort of like drop uh, into like part time, right, and like do our startup like part time as well. But, uh, but, you know, it didn't exactly like pan out. I think we interviewed at Y Combinator three different times and did not get into <laughs> Y Combinator three different times. That's interesting. So how many ideas did you have in that three year period? Uh, so there was one major idea. It was uh, called Sponty Be Hangoutable. Um, and as you can imagine, <laughs> it was a thing. Uh, to like organize outings with friends. I think we yeah. worked on that for about two and a half years. Um, and then um, we had a third uh, partner that we worked with and then we built a social game on Facebook. That's when, you know, Farmville and all of those yeah. were becoming really, really popular. <laughs> so we built a, a social game based on sports. You know, that one actually, you know, had some traction, uh, but not enough in order for us to be able to, you know, turn it into a business, like raise money and all of that. Yeah. So uh, how did you start Bluecore? Like, how did you think of email marketing? Yeah. So what happened then was, you know, this was late 2010. And uh, I realized, you know, I have been uh, working part time and all of that. And I had met, you know, my now wife at the time. And I was like, well, I need to like get a real job, like save money, <laughs> <laughs> like propose. Um, so I moved to New York and, and got a, a different job. And, and I think Fias left uh, uh, Boston as well. He moved to Seattle. Um, so Fies then took a job as a product manager at a gamification company. You know, in, in the early 2010s, gamification was was a big thing. Uh, I actually went to New York and I worked at a uh, at an e-commerce company selling high-end fashion. Uh, meanwhile, in Boston, while we were working on these startups, I actually worked for a company that had sold software to e-commerce. So that's how I got mm -hmm. my roots in e-commerce, sort of working on both sides at a company that sold software to e-commerce, uh, but then also at a at, a, at a, an e-commerce company that sold fashion. So got to see both sides of it. Uh, so while, you know, we were doing that, we sort of like kept in touch and, um, and uh, it took us about a couple of years to come up with the idea. You know, when Fai is working on gamification, what people said was, well, great, uh, but can you turn... Uh, the results of gamification into email notifications. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I was working at the e-commerce company, I realized that, uh, you know, marketing is, is really important, right? And in order to do very good marketing, you need to be able to leverage the data that you have and um, being able to process data and using, for using it for marketing purposes is really, really hard. It's too technical. Uh, it's not accessible to the business users. And that was sort of the genesis of the idea. So what was your like first idea of Bluecore? I mean, it was called Trigger Melvin, right? So what was the, you were seeing a gap in email marketing, um, but what was like the very first V1 version of it? Yeah, so actually there is a, a YouTube video that I can give you and it's from when we pitched Y Combinator in I think mm -hmm. 2012 or so. Um, and I think some of it may ring true if you watch it and see what Bluecore does right now. Some of it may still like ring true. Um, I think what we had realized at the time was, you know, we were both engineers. We thought if we build it, they'll come. This time we're not going to build. We're just going to validate that we actually have something that customers would find value in and that they would actually like buy, right? They would actually mm -hmm. be willing uh, to pay for, which means that it's useful. So what we had realized is that uh, you need to be able to leverage data in order to do really good marketing. And that's really, really hard to do. Uh, so what we're going to do is abstract all of that away. So our pitch was put this JavaScript on your site. Don't worry about anything. Out the other end, you will be able to configure these really popular, you know, highly dynamic and personalized uh, email campaigns uh, with the classic ones being uh, abandoning a cart uh, or mm -hmm. looking at products and not buying them, et cetera. That was the pitch. The pitch was it, literally amazon.com like triggered emails with one line of code. And I think for early adopters, they realized that 
for an e-commerce company, being able to leverage your data requires that you integrate multiple and disparate data sources. And that was the limiting step. So our early innovation was to make that integration extremely easy. And I think that's what propelled our growth in the early days. Nice. And at the time, were there any was there anyone doing something similar or like, and if there was, what was your differentiator from them? Yeah. So at the time there were a lot of uh, companies, a lot of early stage companies that were trying to do like a similar thing. I think that was the time when sort of product analytics and event-based analytics were becoming really, really popular. The, the initial generation of, you know, site analytics were based on page visits, right? If you think about the early, uh, the, the early analytics tools like, uh, like Omniture and, um, and say like even Google Analytics, they were pay based on page views. Once you started capturing behavioral events, and this is when sort of like applications and social games and things like that became very dynamic, became very event and behavioral driven, uh, this is when, uh, you know, a lot of people had the idea of, can I capture customer behavior and then be able to respond to it, right? Mm -hmm. Be able to respond to it in the app or being able to respond to it in sort of like email. So there was a lot of tools that were doing this sort of like generically, right? If you mm -hmm. are able to look at all of your customer behavior, can you use that in order to respond? What we decided is, it, you know, this is a much more acute problem for e-commerce because that was the background that we had. And we can make a much better product uh, for e-commerce that abstracts away all of the technical difficulties if we just focus on uh, a vertical. So we mm -hmm. focused on the vertical of e-commerce because we thought we could build a compelling and differentiated like product at the time. Some ideas were there at the time. There were some companies that were doing this at scale, but it wasn't e-commerce specific. And configuring it for e-commerce uh, had the same difficulties as all of the other horizontal platforms, mainly being able to wire your data, integrate it, emerge identities of customers, things like that. Yeah, makes sense. So you had the idea. Can you walk me through like how you started working on it and when you decided to go all in on it, like how that happened and like how you were pitching it, that whole process? Yeah, so what happened was, uh, you know, meanwhile, when I moved to New York, I had proposed uh, to Jessica, who I'm now married to, and we have uh, three children. Um, yes. <laughs> thank you. And then um, what happened was, you know, uh, she was like, well, you and Fize have always wanted to do like something together, right? Like now is sort of like the time. So so uh, Jessica uh, was working uh, as, a, as an attorney at the time, right? And mm -hmm. us getting married means that we can afford for me like not to have a job or like not to get paid for a while. So I remember, you know, on like Thanksgiving day in like 2012, a couple of days after we got denied by Y Combinator for the third mm -hmm. time, I called Fize and I was like, hey man, like, let's go do this trigger mail thing for real. How long can you last for, right? And he said, well, you know, I can probably last six months to a year without a salary. And I was like, well, I can perhaps last, you know, a little bit longer than that. Uh, so, so that's when we decided, you know what, like we think that this is interesting enough. We're just going to go like all in, right? And this way we can either, we can validate it really quickly rather than like doing the nights and weekends thing, which is not really like, we, which we know doesn't scale. So, mm -hmm. so that's when we took the, the deep dive, right? And, um, and, and uh, at the, you know, we started working on it. Meanwhile, we applied to Techstars in New York City uh, and got in and, and sort of that, that's how we got our start. So you mentioned you got denied from Y Combinator the third time. Was this when you were pitching then Trigger Mail? Was that what got denied? Uh, so the first time it was the, the same social game, right, that we were working mm -hmm. on, the sports one. Those were the two interviews. The third one uh, was for Trigger Mail. So what did what product did you have that you were pitching then? Like what was what was finished? What was coded? Uh, so there was nothing coded, right? Remember this mm -hmm. time we said, you know what? We I think we know how to code. Uh, we think okay. we can build this, but what we really want to do is to say, hey, we actually talked to like this many customers, and this many customers said yes. If you have this product, we will pay you like X, right? And oh, nice. that's the validation that we went with. And the, the other validation was, hey, the insight that we have from our experience in e-commerce is that uh, is that wrangling data and like dealing with it and making sense of it is really, really hard, requires technical expertise that a lot of these companies don't have. So we went in with a business insight because we thought that our ability to execute was a little bit de-risked given our experience this far. So looking back on those three Y Combinator pitches, what do you think you learned from them? I think what we learned is, you know, is messaging, right? And being able yeah. to describe your idea succinctly. Um, and that 
you know, I, I think that's perhaps what we had learned. I, I remember at the time, you know, they said, well, uh, for the for Trigger Mail specifically, they said, you know, we think this is important enough that the big companies will want to build it themselves and the small companies won't be able to pay you for it, right? And I think that proved to be like not true, uh, just mm -hmm. given uh, like how much investment has been in the space and given how, given sort of like the scale we've been able to reach and the scale of a lot of other companies in the space, right? Of like marketing automation and marketing tech in general, there has been a lot of growth and a lot of investments in the field that sort of validates, you know, that 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 vertical. Nice. So, how much time was between that Y Combinator pitch and the successful TechStars pitch? I think Y Combinator was right before Thanksgiving, and uh, we started at TechStars in April. So it it took about like six months or so. Nice. So what what changed between then? Like, what did you do in that time? I think what we did in that time was uh, do a lot of like product research, talk to a lot of potential customers, get a lot of introductions, actually talk to, uh, you know, the founders of the company that I had worked at that uh, that built solutions for e-commerce, right? And saying, you know, what do you think? Like, is this something that customers would buy, right? Like, what have you seen? Like, you know, are these pain points like real, et cetera? So we had sort of like resisted the urge to build, right? Because mm -hmm. we knew that that's what we were comfortable with. And uh, this is one of those things where we need to do really good customer research first and make sure that, you know, that, that there is a potential or probable product market fix before we actually go and write any code. So we had done enough of that such that our, you know, I remember in our Techstars interview, you know, they kept asking if they could see a demo and we said, well, there is really like no demo, but here's the customer validation that we've done. Here are the things that we've built in the past. We think we can actually like build this, right? And we had a prototype of how the integration may work. But I think the, 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 the point was the customer validation. I think that was really, that to me, that was really important. That sounds smart to me because I think that a demo to be able to demo something like this would actually take quite a bit of work, like, or to show some personalization. So it sounds to me pretty smart that you're like, oh, we can code. That's the more or less easy part, but convincing people on the business model um, sounds like it was a good way to go. I mean, obviously it was successful. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think at the time we were sort of, you know, I don't know if it was the right approach, right. But we mm -hmm. figured let's actually do things that we're uncomfortable with, right. Talking to customers, like doing product research. That was not a thing that we had experience with. Well, maybe Fai is a little bit because he was a product man. He had been a product manager, but we decided to do enough of that, um, you know, to de-risk, to de-risk the idea. Do you think that that would still work today? That uh, approach? Or do you think today thing, have things changed? Do you think you would need code? You know, I, I don't know. I think that, I think it depends on the background of like the founders, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I think that, I think it also depends on, you know, I think you can show code or a demo for the things that are the, uh, the, the crux or like the things that are like the most difficult or the ones that where you have an unconventional insight. For yeah. us, it was uh, hey, we can actually do this without IT involvement on the client side. That was the biggest risk. And that was the thing that we were able to show, right? But we weren't yeah. able to show that, well, how can you actually turn this into marketing programs, et cetera? Showing that we can actually capture data in a reliable way was the most important one. And so you're both two technical, very technical people. And for the first part of it, you're purely just doing, you know, reaching out to people and uh, talking to people about their, like, if this was needed. How did you start to get your foot in the door? Did you just cold call people? Yeah, so so once we got into Techstars, we decided that, well, uh, you know, someone has got to focus on building and someone is going to focus on like business, right? Yeah. And it made sense for Fais to be uh, the CEO and focus on business because uh, he, you know, he had the skill sets and I think the personality for it, right? And I focused on on like building at the time. Uh, so we had gotten introductions via our network to multiple sort of like e-commerce companies and like the mm -hmm. founders of e-commerce companies to sort of like uh, take them through it. And uh, at Techstars is when we met Amish Johnny, who who was uh, he's still on our uh, one of our biggest investors and is on our board and and led our seed round. Uh, he was one of the first people we met at Techstars, uh, and he introduced us to some of our earliest customers as well, including actually our first ever customer. So we were able to talk to enough customers to see that, hey, is this something that you were willing to try? And we had launched a couple of customers by the end of Techstars uh, just to show that, hey, like this was actually possible and we can generate value. 
Cool. So I'm really interested in the tech stars process. What was like when you were in the room pitching, can you describe to me what that was like and like the feedback you got and how you felt at the end of, of that? I guess it's an interview to get in sort of, or you're pitching to some people, like what is that process? Yeah. So, um, there was a, an application, right? And I think this is the mm -hmm. way it works with a lot of these um, incubators is that there's an application process uh, and then there is an interview. And I think for seed rounds, typically, you know, I think this is perhaps true for incubators and also for early or like seed stage uh, investors is it's really all about the team. Do I think mm -hmm. the team has an insight and do I think that this is the right team to execute on it, right? Uh, so I think that's perhaps what they were looking for you know, at the time, I, I think. But once you're in tech stars, actually like the value that they provide is network leverage, right? So this is how mm -hmm. we met our first investor. This is how we met a lot of mentors and a lot of people who really helped us along the way. And, uh, and then they also helped us with the pitch, right? So, uh, it, you know, Fias had like spent a lot of time with tech stars on like the pitch, right? Like essentially it culminates in a demo day where you uh, present what you had done and like why it makes sense and all of that and we had spent a lot of time on this and, and that for us as engineers that underscored the importance of messaging uh, how do you describe your product how do you describe your product mm -hmm. in a way that makes sense and how do you describe the market how do you describe the value to customers so there was a lot of work that went into that that I don't think we appreciated you know prior to that experience yeah so what was it like when you were and before you did the demo and after you were accepted, what was that part like? Uh, before we did the final demo and after we got accepted into Techstars. Yeah, well, so, so the it, building process. Yeah, so it was uh, three months, right? And during those three months is when they put you in touch with mentors, potential investors, and you're supposed to like build something that you can show on like demo day. So I think the goal for us was uh, to, you know, like the is to be able to launch a handful of customers, you know, or at least two. And I think we were able to launch three at the time um, and being able to get some investment. Um, and um, I think that we had, you know, we had luckily actually put together a seed round even before demo day. So when we did demo day, nice. we had pretty much like the seed round like wrapped up, which, which, which was lucky because then, you know, we did demo day and then a week later I went and got married. <laughs> not so little so what was your day-to-day -day like uh were you in an office or you around a bunch of other people in tech stars was it were you coding all day like what was your life like during then yeah so at the time i had moved to uh dc uh, i had moved to dc uh you know six months before so i was based out of dc and i would like take the the amtrak uh to new york uh wow. spend you know like just couch surf um write code basically all day and and all night so write code all day and all night, like participate in the tech stars activities. You know, at the time, uh, my mother got sick as well, right? And I was, I was, you know, helping her like find health insurance, like get a, get wow. a, uh, uh, um, the surgery like set up and all of that. And at the same time, you know, looking for a wedding venue, get the whole thing like set up. It was, it was a very, very stressful time, uh, but I think it, you know, it led to a lot of growth. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of code writing. It was a lot of like reflection time, like during, you know, the commutes on the Amtrak and it was fun. I look back at it very, very fondly. During that time, what do you remember were some of the most challenging? Like, do you remember any specific days or just things that were going on that you thought were the most challenging? Yeah, I think that, uh, it, you know, for us, like certain customer launches, right? Like really stretched us and like stretched the product. Uh, I remember that, you know, the, the second customer we wanted to launch was on like Shopify. And at the time, you know, the, the Shopify ecosystem wasn't, it, it was kind of new, right? And um, we hadn't proven that our, uh, that our integration would work well with it. So I think at the time, you know, launching the second customer was really, really difficult. And that was a crucible that we went through. But even after Techstars, I think launching our second enterprise customer was really, really difficult. I remember like the early team spending, you know, pulling so many long hours and like so many all-nighters just like trying to launch uh, this, this like customer, right? Like trying to map the data properly and then trying to launch and all of our machines running out of memory due to the complexity of the personalization logic, right? Uh, like a lot of like last minute things like broke. And I think those are the kinds of things that that make you like stronger, right? Like if you go yeah. through these like crucibles, essentially, uh, you know, so these are the things that I look at, like, hey, it was hard at the time, but I think they were also necessary. 
Yeah, and at this point or during Techstars, was it were you the only engineer or did other people come on board? When was the first or the third person hired? Yeah, so uh, so so our third co-founder, Max Bennett, uh, we had met him at Techstars. So Techstars had you know they bring together companies, but they would also bring other people who want to sort of like uh, uh, work with startups. And uh, Max had been, you know, a trader at Goldman Sachs and then was mm -hmm. doing Techstars. And this is how we met him. So he was our first sort of like person to join the team. Um, and I think our fourth uh, person to join the team with Joe was Joe Gazzardo, who was our first engineer and is still on the engineering team at Bluecore. I had worked with him at, um, at my previous company. And, um, and he was, you know, he was the first uh, or like the, the the fourth person to join the team while we were still at the TechStars office. Uh, oh, wow. So 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 that was so essentially Fiz and Max were you know trying to sell and um, and like raise money and like do the like the deck and all of that and and uh, and Joe and I were were trying to launch our first customers right like build the the initial systems etc. Sounds like a fun time. Did, was there ever a time where you thought you weren't going to make it or had a lot of doubt about? The product itself. Uh, yes, uh, many times, right? Uh, I think that you know when we were trying to launch our second customer, that was like really, really difficult, and it almost like didn't happen. But we pushed through. Um, I think with our first customer, we had agreed with them on a uh, on you know we had we had like a, a sort of like a handshake agreement, and then our the person that we were working with uh, left the company, and we had no contacts. So we're like, hey, Techstars is about to end. And <laughs> we lost the contact inside of our first customer. And I think what happened was we were able to get in touch with them. And apparently they had, they had had a lot of changes. And they said, uh, you know, we like revamped our site. We unplugged a lot of like technologies. But there was this thing called Trigger Mail at the time that was generating a lot of revenue. So we left it alone. And we're trying to figure <laughs> out like who, who, like what is this thing, right? That's, that's generating revenue for us. Um, so, so we were able to get in touch with them that way. And then we were able to actually get a deal done, right. Where they were paying us like actual, like real money. It was such an amazing feeling to feel like, well, you we actually wrote software that someone finds like valuable and they're actually like paying you money for it. I, I mean, I know yeah. like as a software engineer, you work and, and, and like you get a salary, but like feeling like, Hey, a customer actually paid us to use our software was like an amazing feeling uh, yeah. uh, at the time. I bet. And generally in the beginning stages, when you would talk to people, investors, were you at first faced with a lot of doubt from them or a lot of support or was it mixed? Uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was mixed, right? Mm -hmm. I think that we were lucky where, you know, when we met Amish, um, uh, you know, uh, first Mark had had a thesis around like direct to consumer brands and around like e-commerce in general, and they had invested in a few direct to consumer brands. So they understood e-commerce, they understood the pain point in e pain points in e-commerce. And I think that's how we were able to sort of, you know, to, to see eye to eye, like right away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I think at the time, I think we lucked out, honestly, like we, we, we got lucky, you know, the idea turns out you know, a lot of companies go through tech stars or go through an incubator where they like pivot quite a bit, like through it. Yeah. Um, I think that we were lucky where uh, we had an idea, we executed on it and it had some initial product market fit uh, that we did not have to pivot. Right. And that allowed mm -hmm. us to focus quite a bit. Nice. And if you could go back and do tech stars all over again, uh, what are some things you think you would do differently? You know, that that's, um, that's really difficult to think about because, you know, it's been such a long time. I feel like I've learned a lot of things along the way. Yeah. You know, what I tell the team is there's a lot of things that I wish I had known, like before starting a company, right? Like everyone tells mm -hmm. you, hey, recruiting is important, but like, yes, recruiting is like absolutely important. I like, I wish I had spent a lot more time like doing recruiting in like the early days. Um, uh, I think a lot of things about, you know, how do you build uh, sales and marketing in like the early like days, right? These are things that, you know, as individual contributors, when we had started, right? Like we, you know, we hadn't been execs or even like managers before we started. Uh, mm -hmm. Those are things that I wish I had known, right? So I don't know what I would do differently, but I feel like if I were to go through it again, there's a lot of lessons that I learned from this experience that I would like to impart on, you know, on, on my colleagues at Blue Corps so that when they go off to start, you know, companies, they would perhaps be, 
you know, they would perhaps like that would shorten some of the iteration on them. Yeah, I guess that's a great segue into what are some of the main lessons you learned in the very beginning stage, the stages of the company. So after you're done it with Techstars, now you're a real company, you probably have some sort of office, maybe it's the closet office or something, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, what were some of those learnings? And I guess, so is it Series A now that is that that's the what you would be in after Techstars? Uh, no, so we had uh, raised the seed, and then a year and a half later, we raised the Series A. Uh, actually, okay. luckily, our first office after the Techstars office was uh, we shared office space with Stack Overflow. It's yeah. a, a beautiful office in downtown Manhattan. Uh, you know, amazing coffee machinery, like really good <laughs> food at the time. So I think we were uh, we were quite lucky. Uh, I think yeah. to be part of of like such an awesome place, especially you know. I was couch surfing. So like my home situation in New York was like not good at all. And like being in an office that was comfortable, had a shower, you know, as I was commuting from DC, et cetera, until I convinced my, you know, my, my wife to move to New York. That was, uh, that was like really, really awesome. Yeah. So I think the lessons that we learned was uh, to focus on like customers, right? Like making sure that absolutely like the first few customers are like really, really successful. Right. I think that that was important. And I think that we had done a good job there. Uh, I think it's it's almost like, well, because we only had a very small number of them, right? Like we, we were mm -hmm. focused on the enterprise. It was a little bit like high touch. Um, we actually, like the whole thing was white glove. Like we, we didn't even have a UI. I think, you know, Max wrote our first UI ever, which was, <laughs> which was an analytics like dashboard, right? That just showed, you know, volumes and, and like revenue essentially. Um, so just focusing on making sure that customers are absolutely like successful, right? Focusing on like the metrics that they cared about and being able to surface those. I think in hindsight, that was really, really important. There are some things that we learned the hard way as well, which is, you know, once we had like product market fit with our initial product, then we started looking at other adjacent products. And perhaps that was a little bit too early that in a way sort of uh, um, scattered our efforts a little bit. Like if I were to do it again, I would probably focus on making sure that our initial um, product uh, or our initial offering was really absolutely like successful before pivoting on to do something else or to be a multi-product company. I think that usually what I learned is that comes a little bit after, comes a little, were, you know, a few, a few stages down. Yeah. What were, and the, what is, can you describe a little bit of the way that you became a little scattered or the way that you pivoted a little? Yeah, so uh, after we had our initial product was called, you know, Trigger Mail, uh, which was, you know, as you would imagine, it's um, you, you put a piece of JavaScript and you get uh, triggered emails uh, with specific, you know, specific what we called recipes at the time, right, mm -hmm. that made sense for e-commerce. Uh, once we did that, then we said, okay, well, you know, what else can we do? And we decided to go into the world of like ads. Uh, which is, hey, if we have personalization inside of like our email, should we do that for like ads? And uh, it turns out ads is like a completely like different world, yeah. right? Um, and uh, and I don't think that we were able to actually, you know, what we learned is that it's uh, it's it's a world that has evolved over a long time, right? And it was uh, it was uh, uh, like it seemed sort of like impossible that you would be able to outperform the existing players that ha that have had a long time. To innovate like it seemed like this is a thing that you can't just solve with like better technology right mm -hmm. it seemed that there was a lot of like other things at play here that we did not have so that that was perhaps the the, the lesson learned nice so during this early stage were there any big challenges um that the company came across uh yes uh there was um yes there was a lot of challenges um as I had said, launching some customers was really, really difficult, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times, especially the enterprise customers, you have to do things that are a little bit unnatural or perhaps not congruent with your product strategy, just because you want to make sure that they are successful. And you, you know, you think, well, I will, I will take some technical debt now and standardize later. Uh, so I think those, those were difficult. I think uh, recruiting, right? Like recruiting, uh, is also difficult um, at the time. You, you know, there mm -hmm. are some people who love the challenge of a startup, but you know, it's a bit of like an acquired taste as well. The risk profile of an early stage startup is different, say, than you know, from like what Bluecore is like right now. So I think that was difficult. Um, you know, doing things like how do we scale the implementations and figuring out, you know, the inner workings of the FDE team 
uh, the forward deployed engineering team. Uh, that was, you know, that was uh, quite a bit of work as well, figuring out how to scale our sales. And I think we've done a good job with the initial sort of like product, but as as the product got more complex, right, the pitch and the message and the value and all of that needed to evolve as well. So I think at the time as very technical co-founders, I think we, uh, we, we perhaps, you know, took us a little bit to learn the importance of you know, messaging and, and, um, and like talking about value rather than talking about like the solution right away, right? Like thinking about customers' problems rather than like what solution we provide. What do you think was the like most important next hire after those four that really helped you to like kind of get that messaging vision and get on track with that? I think our first head of sales was absolutely like crucial. I think he yeah. was uh, you know, the seventh uh, member of our team, right? I think this is when we actually like started, you know, scaling uh, the initial sort of like script that Fize and Max had developed, right? And we took that, we iterated on it and we were able to uh, quickly like scale, right? Between, uh, you know, from seed to series A and then from series A to like the series B. Uh, I think that was probably the most critical hire, the next hire. Do you think as... Uh tech-focused people, do you think that you underestimated the importance of having sales? Uh, yes, I think we I think we always knew that we, you know, like there's with SaaS, uh, especially if you're selling to the enterprise, there are some well-known like playbooks, right, on how you organize mm -hmm. like a sales team and all of that. Uh, so, so I think that, I think that it was clear sort of like how to do the initial one, but as the product becomes more complex, as you sell deeper into the organization, this is when some of these like problems become a little bit harder and require a lot more, you know, a lot more work. Yeah. And so how did your day-to-day -day change? You're coding all day in Techstars and I assume you're taking on completely different responsibilities as you're going into series A. Yeah. So the, for the first, uh, I would say like two years, I, or actually like three years, I was still coding quite a bit. Right. I think I, you know, I was coding all the way up until maybe like 2016 or so. Right. So for the first, uh, three or four years of like Bluecore, I was writing a lot of software. I think once you have a team of like six or seven people, you realize, well, I actually need to spend more time on recruiting. I actually need to spend time making sure that the team is working on the right things, like making sure that they see the vision and all of that. So um, I went from, you know, focusing on writing software to more like, you know, uh, managing the team hiring our first like product manager, our first like designer, like things like that. Um, then realizing, oh, well, we actually need product management as a function, right? Like, so starting product management, you know, putting Max, Max, our third co-founder then became head of like product and, um, and sort of like scaled that further. Uh, so my role changed and it continues to change, right? I think the role of the technical founder uh, changes, uh, I would say a lot more than, than, than other execs. Um, mm -hmm. I would say, you know, you go from an individual contributor to being a manager, then a manager of managers, then the head of a function. Right. And then, uh, if you're lucky, then you get to sort of like hire, you know, people who can also like run the function and then you can like focus on other things. Uh, I remember there was, you know, this interesting article about, you know, we all, take a, a, a few Legos and, and we put them together into like a little tower, but then we hand them off to someone who perhaps has more experience uh, and dedication to the field. And then they can take it, turn it into a skyscraper while you go put together mm -hmm. some other set of Legos. So that's how I yeah. see my role evolving as well. Yeah. It sounds like building the team and you mentioned recruiting a lot and how it was a challenge. Can you talk a little bit about like why that was a challenge and the importance, the reason that you see such an importance on it and maybe how you, how you approach it now? You know, I would say that like a founder's job is always to be like recruiting, right? Always mm -hmm. to be like recruiting across like the board. Um, in the early days, we were all sort of like, you know, recruiting and we were recruiting from like our network. So the first like few people uh, were, were people that we knew or introductions like from friends, right? So uh, Joe, uh, uh, James Lewis, you know, came through like an, an introduction via friend. Um, uh, like Andrew Oko was, you know, someone that we met on AngelList, et cetera. Uh, at some point, then we hired a technical recruiter. I think when the engineering team was about six or seven people is when we realized we actually need someone focused full-time on like recruiting, right? Because uh, in order to continue, you, you are sort of you know, front-loading the investment in R&D in order to build a product, right? To continue to like sell it to customers. So in the early days, of a startup, there's a bit of a pendulum of where you put your most attention. In the early mm -hmm. stages, you're putting 
your attention, the pendulum is swinging towards product and, and R&D and you're focusing there. Uh, and then after that, you realize, okay, well, now I have enough product. Now I got to go focus on selling and like marketing and messaging and all of that, right? And then you have a sales team. Now you're selling ahead a little bit and they're getting feedback from customers about all the messaging capabilities. Then the pendulum, <laughs> excuse me, swings again towards, towards R&D. Uh, so, so you always have to be like recruiting and, um, and uh, you, you know, just given like how I, I think essentially the world of technology right now is just limited by the, the number of engineers that you're able to like recruit, right? There is a lot more demand than there is sort of like supply. So, mm -hmm. so this is where you have to, you know, you have to make sure that you're building the right things and you have to spend a lot more time on recruiting and a lot more energy. Yeah. So I'm sure you've been in a ton of interviews. What kind of people are you looking for? Like when you're building, you know, you're building your company. Yeah. So it changes over time, right? In the early stages, you are looking for, you know, generalists or, or like athletes, right? People who mm -hmm. can sort of like do all sorts of things. Yes, they can do front end and back end and like DevOps if needed, et cetera, right? Uh, so those who have, you, you know, if you think about a T-shaped skill set, uh, the top bar is like much more wider. As, and, and then the value proposition is different. The value proposition is, hey, like come do this like novel thing, like, you know, from scratch. And, you know, you get a certain type of like hacker and founder mentality that get excited about that. As you go through the phases, the profile sort of like changes, right? The people that mm -hmm. you hired, uh, you know, they grow with the company and and sort of like their expectations and what they're excited about like changes as well, or otherwise it becomes like less of a match. Uh, so as you scale a little bit, then you, you know, you start hiring uh, people with like specific expertise, right? When you hit scale, then you want people who, then you need like DevOps expertise, right? Then you need people who are focusing on like infrastructure, uh, some people focused on, you know, test automation and fixtures, then you need, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, you need uh, designers who are focused on like building the UX and, and like the UI and all of that. Uh, I think that as you scale a company, then you have to start thinking about what is the unique value proposition that you provide, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and why would someone sort of, you know, uh, choose you over like Google or like Facebook or like Amazon, et cetera. So you have to always think about what is the value that you're providing and, um, and, and how, you know, and, and can I then find people who identify with that? And usually the mm -hmm. value is it's either about the team, the mission of the company or the type of like technical work itself. That's initially, but then to retain people, then you need to give them growth opportunities, have the right managers in place, et cetera. So I think you have to always evaluate that and it, and, and it always like the profile like changes, right? Uh, as your team and your business evolves. That's good. So now you're at series or now we're at series E, right? So it's yes. been a while. How many years has it been since you say it's been, it was founded? Uh, so we started in March of 2013. Uh, so uh, I guess it will be eight years uh, in March. Wow. It's not a yeah. long time, but then again, uh, I'm sure it feels like a short and long time at, at the same yes. time. Yeah. So looking back, uh, you've changed, your role has changed a lot. What have you learned um, in that time about your role, or maybe even what are some times that you felt that you failed um, from just like being so new and, you know, being in a new role that you've never been in and what did you learn from it? Uh, yeah, a, a few different uh, things, right? Like um, sometimes uh, as a founder, you have to evaluate sort of like your own performance and like whether you are like in the right place, right? Um, especially as like a, as, as sort of like a first time founder, right. And, and you have to, you know, you have to always like think about that. So, so it's a little bit hard because you have to think about it as, as a, like a member of the board and as an investor, uh, but also your heart is into it, right. Like, you know, of course I had, uh, an emotional connection to like the engineering team, right. Like that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's where I started. That's where a lot of like my, uh, my contributions were, et cetera, right? But you have to think about, uh, you know, what are the things that uh, you are in a unique position to do and what are like the things that you can actually hire people that could potentially be much more capable at it than, than you. So I think being always like clear about that is like really important, right? And evaluating sort of like whether you are working on the right things or not, you know, like change uh, always sounds good, except when it comes to like your personal <laughs> like role and, and situation. Uh, yeah. so, so I would say that that's, that's one of the things that 
uh, that sort of like took me a while to like to like really understand and appreciate. What are some things that you've learned just about being at a startup in that time? Yeah. Um, uh, so a few specific things, you know, one of the things is as you scale as a company, uh, you know, if you are lucky and somewhat successful, uh, you will have a product that has seen scale that customers rely on that you need to operate. Uh, but at the same time, you need to like innovate. And uh, sometimes that happens faster than you think. And mm -hmm. then, you know, that requires like a uh, transition and requires like hiring for like specific skill sets and like reorganizing the teams and things like that. So sometimes I feel like, well, I had wished that I recognized this like faster and invested in things like, you know, like DevOps and security and all of that a little bit like earlier, uh, because, you know, I, I think that if you don't do it, then you get consumed by the operational complexity of the existing business that you yeah. choke off your innovation and your like growth. Uh, so I would say like being able to think ahead when it comes to that and being able to like, you know, do something about it a little bit like earlier. Um, I would say that this is something that is a lesson learned. I think always like, you know, you are never recruiting enough, uh, right? So mm -hmm. I wish that we actually had a bigger recruiting team or that I had even like spent more time like recruiting and say like hiring uh, like a VP of engineering earlier, right? And being able to focus on recruiting and all of that. So I would say that these are some of the things that I wish I had done differently, right, in hindsight. So when things do go wrong, what do you think is um, most important when you're having that meeting with execs or whatever about how to deal with things? I'm sure that there are things that you're probably proud of in the way that Bluecore has dealt with things. Like, what do you think um, is important during those stressful times to have in that room? I think as a leader, you have to be uh, firm, but also calm and collected, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, if you are not, then that, uh, then that can really like rattle the team, right? Like the the, the confidence um, is uh, is like really important. Uh, I think the other one is, you know, like having a uh, a, a retrospective or a post mortem like culture where you actually mm -hmm. ask the right questions uh, and be able to learn from it and like follow up on it is like really really important. Um, you, you have to think about even like near misses, right? What are like the yeah. things that could have been a disaster, but weren't. And, mm -hmm. you know, actually look at those near misses as like a learning opportunity as well. So I think making sure that it's a learning opportunity, that you learn from it, that you adjust, you know, uh, team structure, technology and processes in order to like continuously learn uh, is, is like really important, right? Like I think in, in our early days, uh, you know, we had an issue during Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Uh, this might have been like 2016 or so. Uh, and I think that, you know, I think we learned a lot from it. I think a lot of mm -hmm. our preparation and our solid track record since then has been really like a function of that. So I think that was the silver lining was that it was a great learning experience and and like the team has taken it very seriously since then. Yeah. And I guess better to have it then than now. I mean, better to have it then and then learn from it than to have something like big now that you're bigger. Um, of course, it would be bigger impact. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so in your opinion, if you had to pick one thing, what do you think is the most important thing for having a successful company or startup? I know it sounds cliche, but like having the right people. Yeah. Right. The right people makes all the difference. The right people build the right products. They retain the right people. And that that's really like what it's all about, especially in tech right? Like it is the people who build uh, like everything, right? Like if you think about, you know, compared to say a manufacturing company, like all of your expenses are in like salaries and like headcount and things mm -hmm. like that. It, it's not anything else, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, so I would say it's the people hiring, right? Like making sure that you retain your best uh, people and like promote them and create learning opportunities, I would say is the most important thing. Nice. And what do you enjoy the most and the least about your role? Uh, I enjoy talking to customers, uh, right? Mm -hmm. I, I feel like, especially, you know, when you meet customers and they tell you like how, you know, our product has changed the way they work, how like our product um, sort of like transformed, how it like really helped their bottom line, how it like made people much happier about what they do, how it reduced toil inside of the organization, uh, how it made things that used to be like painful much easier like that makes me proud and makes me feel like wow actually like what we do is valuable and like matters and like it really like adds a lot of value to our customers I would say that is my favorite even when you talk to customers who are 
you know, who are uh, uh, giving you like tough feedback. I think that's important as well, because mm-hmm. you know, at least they care enough to be able to give you feedback versus like they don't care and, and they end up like leaving, right? Because they can't, you know, they're, they're not even, they don't, they, they are less engaged than, you know, uh, to, to be able to give you feedback. Uh, the thing that I don't like the most, I mean, it, it depends, right? Like, uh, as, as an engineer, you know, as you, as you become an exec, you sort of like have to give up the IDE and pick up the spreadsheet. And, uh, there is a part of me, uh, that always yearns back to the IDE, right. Mm-hmm. Rather than the slide deck or the, the spreadsheet. So I would say, I would say that's, you know, that's the two sides of it. Interesting. So let's say in this world, like some imaginary world in a few years or something, or maybe even a couple of years, who knows, what would you want to do in the future? If you just, if you had a choice to do something else? Blue Core is, is like super important to me, right? It, like it's yeah. part of like who I am. Uh, I like, I can't see myself like being anywhere else, but yes, I can see myself going back to being an individual contributor and like writing software. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy it. And I actually know a lot of successful founders uh, who, you know, actually like as they start companies, they remain technical, right? And they hire uh, like managers and execs for like other, for like other things. I, I think that this is now acceptable and it is a, like a pattern that you see. So, so I, I think that, you know, it, it may be possible, right. And I can see myself doing that is, uh, is like becoming, you know, is becoming going back to being like very technical. And would you want to be a founder then still, or would you work for another startup? You think if you had the choice? Yeah. Um, uh, it's interesting. You know, I, I will have to think about it sometimes I think, oh, well, you know, if I wasn't doing like blue core, you know, where I would be. And I think that there is, there are a lot of interesting companies, right. That are startups and like mid-stage, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so um, I, I can, I can see myself doing like either, right. It really like depends on the situation. So if someone was going to start a startup now, say that someone going through tech stars now, wanting to go, uh, what advice would you give them? I would say that it's very, very hard to be a lone founder. I can't imagine like doing this alone. I would yeah. say having a, uh, someone that, a co-founder that you trust, uh, where uh, there's mutual respect and uh, clearly there are complementary skills. Uh, I would say that this is this sort of like in- increases the uh, the the success probability by an order of magnitude for sure. Yeah, I find uh, yours and Fai's story. It's just it's just interesting because uh, you he knew he was coming, you kind of talked to him and you guys had so long to build something and obviously you worked, working together so long and then you, you built something super successful. It's just a really cool success story about how um, two people became founders and were working on it for a while. So yeah. Um, yeah, you know, the, in, a, in a situation like this, trust is very important because uh, sometimes they say, well, you know, you don't want to be roommates with your friends or you don't want to start a company <laughs> with your friends because you know, are you going to, uh, you know, is like being friends going to prevent you from giving like tough feedback, right? Uh, yeah. Or, 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 you know, or actually being able to engage in productive conflict. Uh, so I say that, you know, being able to give each other feedback, uh, having like trust, you know, that we're working towards the same like goal mm-hmm. um, is, is actually like really, really important rather than like, actually, like if you, if you are like friends, then that's great. Right. But like having complementary skills, being able to have tough conversations, being able to give feedback without having to worry about, you know, hurting each, hurting each other's feelings is, is really, is an important recipe for success. Yeah. It was really neat that you're able to find someone like that um, and like point it out and be like, Hey, work on me with this and able to build something. That was really neat. I'm sure a lot of people maybe want someone like that, but don't. That sounds very yeah. deep, like almost like a relationship thing. <laughs> I'm yes, sure yes, people want to find their person, but don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, okay. Are there any last parting words that you want to leave us with? It always makes me really happy to see like other companies started by Blue Core alumni. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen like multiple companies that are started by people who work together. Uh, you know, who had worked together at like Blue Core, especially like, you know, those who work together on a really like tough project, right? I think going through something tough like that together, like forges like trust. And I think that would, yeah. that w- that's a good bond to sort of like make for a good like co-founder relationship, right? So I always like, point. it always makes me happy to like see that. And I hope that, you know, I hope that we create the environment 
uh, for for sort of like you know like a, a a successful generation of startups, regardless of what happens with Bluecore. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, thank you for coming on. I enjoyed it, and thank you for your time. Well, it was a pleasure, Alexa. Thank you for hosting. Thank you for listening to this episode of Alexa's Input. Make sure to subscribe so you know when the next episode comes out. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Alexa's Input. Finally, any donations are welcome. You can go click the link on in the description, go to the anchor page, and I do take donations because I edit and record these podcasts on my own. So those are very much appreciated. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.